would like to repeat what I said in my opening remarks and encourage deputies that have received information that may be a cause of public concern to bring these concerns to the attention of the judge. I'm confident that the majority of the concerns around the terms of reference have been addressed in the revised terms of reference and I look forward to the results of the investigation. Music is such an important part of our lives. We've had a long relationship with music at Apple and music has had a very rich history of change, some of which we've played a part in. We have a full investigation underway already. We haven't had any new case of BSC since 2013, so this is a surprise. Uh, but we are, but we're dealing with it, and we will get to the bottom of how it's going to happen. Uh, and of course, we will we will reassure all of our trade partners that actually, you know, this is being dealt with in a very thorough and very transparent way. Would you like to rear end Roy Keane? <laughs> <laughs> What? Uh, I'm going to let you. Would you like to? <laughs> We're Tommy Martin of TV3 asking a very innocent question and getting picked up wrong there. Mick Clifford, how are you? Not too bad, Jonathan. Would you like to rear end Roy Keane? <laughs> no, Jonathan. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that kind of a chance in my life. <laughs> yeah, the four and four, four fortunate individual. Though, an awful thing to happen on the M50 at a junction where a lot of that kind of thing does happen. We start with the FAI, Mick, and and the bizarre activity of the Oireachtas Committee on Transport, Tourism and Sport. They were all gung-ho bringing John Delaney in to talk about the five million. Everyone was saying, sure, what are you talking about the five million to him about? And then lo and behold, they decide not to bring John Delaney in. If they were trying to add a little bit of fuel to this fire, they succeeded, didn't they? They sure did. I mean, if you put this in context, last year we had issues over uh, Garth Brooks, uh, the GA honchos were brought in before a committee to explain themselves there the GA also in relation to their deal with Sky Sports that was all deemed worthy of consideration by an Oireachtas committee one would imagine that equally if not more so this should have been I mean 5 million to come in okay that's not public money but the FAI is in receipt of huge amounts of public money more so than the other footballing organisations and you know it's all the same pot effectively and the big issue is what exactly why exactly was the money given? Because if we're not if we're not against the, the, the bladder bladder regime, then we become part of the problem. And it seems to be something along the lines Mr. Blatter was able to curry favour around the world, particularly in the developing world, with with his largesse as as um, president of FIFA. And was yeah. this just another example of it? But but at the same time, is this a matter that is something an Iraqis committee can deal with? Or did they just overstretch themselves slightly here? Surely, in my opinion, this is a matter, a very public matter for the FAI. They are a public body in many ways because they're a sporting body. And it's not like they're going to get away with anything when something like this comes out in the, in, in the public. They're going to have to deal with it internally as well. Well, you say they're going to have to deal with it internally. I don't know what dealing is going to be done because uh, John Delaney, who seems to be the man behind this, uh, is in an unassailable position within the association. They think he's a great fellow altogether to the extent that they pay him 350,000 now, down from 400,000. He had to take a drop due to uh, uh, the, the austerity that hit the country, you could say. So I would not be confident that there'll be much internally done. I mean, in a land it, where we... Hang on, the other side of it, of course, is, and we kind of discussed this last week, so we haven't moved on too far in the, in, in the discussion uh, five, seven days on. What was wrong with taking the five million if they offered it, even if it wasn't offered for the right reason? Should we take it, we put it into the stadium 
And as a result, the FAI can invest some more money, perhaps the money they get from the state elsewhere. Well, Jonathan, to take things to a bit of an extreme, supposing somebody from, uh, say, Sicily with major mafiosi connections for some reason decided he wanted to shovel five million into the FAI or any other sporting body in this country, uh, would there be anything wrong in that scenario with taking the money? I mean, there's an issue over where the money came from, for what reason it was given, but most particularly, and this is where I think things went really awry, was the fact that it was confidential. Apart from anything else, the ordinary members of the FAI look at the books and they see that commercially, uh, Mr Delaney seems to be doing an excellent job when you look at all this money that he's able to bring in commercially. And then we see this is how it was done. It was a little and a very unorthodox payment from Mm. an individual who would make who's made a a whole career, it would seem, out of unorthodox payments around the world. Well, anyway, the TDs will not get the opportunity to ask questions, at least not at this juncture. No doubt the FAI will be in at some stage. They might hold on to a few questions down the back of the jotter that they can throw at John Delaney when he comes in. I want to talk about HICWA, um, Mick, because there's been some very disturbing stories this week. We covered one extensively yesterday, which was Craig House in County Sligo. Major non-compliance in 19 out of 23 areas that HICWA went into. The one that stood out for me was on the day the inspectors went in, there were children who were left in their beds until one o'clock in the afternoon because there wasn't enough staff to to allow them to get up, uh, which for me is absolutely unacceptable to every degree. And today, we're hearing that residents at a Centre for Disabilities uh, in Louth, people were locked into a unit there on their own because of a shortage of staff on duty. The staff shortage thing has been jumping off the pages here. The HSC are at pains to point out, oh, well, look, since Hickwer went in and carried out the report, we've done X, Y and Z. Is that not ignoring the fact that somewhere within the HSE they allowed it build up to this point in the first place. It is. I mean, I think there's cultural issues here. There's indifference to a large extent from the body politic and one might say wider society, those who are not directly affected. Uh, you're talking about staffing. Absolutely, there's no question there's a resource issue around staffing. But one of the one of the things that struck me about yesterday's report from Craig House was the notion that the residents in, uh, in there had to have their lunch at 12 o'clock on the basis that the staff we're on their lunch break from 12.45 till 2. So, I mean, that strikes me as a place that's being run for the staff rather than the residents. Now, that's not a reflection on the individual staff themselves, but more the whole cultural attitude in these situations. And the, other, the thing that really jumps out is what seems to be the, the approach here is control rather than care. I mean, what is being done for for people to help to to stimulate them, to help them have some sort of a fulfilling existence within the context of the difficulties they're suffering? And, you know, we've had successive governments and now we've a scenario with this government where finally some money's coming back into the economy. I don't hear of any big um, push to have proper to have it properly resourced where we have people with intellectual disabilities and as you say that's three reports in the space of two days I mean it is shameful and not only that Jonathan I would suspect we will look back in years at these type of reports at the way that these people are being treated and not being cared for and will say well that was another scandal well, we're in the here and now now and it's time to do something about it and to Hickwa's credit, they are going in. They are investigating these places. They don't seem to have much power as a watchdog to shut places down. But is the only weapon in their arsenal producing reports like this 
so that the HSE management, not necessarily staff on the ground, but the HSE management know, well, look, we're going to have to improve things here. Otherwise, they're going to keep catching us. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about shutting things down. Well, if places are shut down, where do the residents go yeah, there's then? There's nowhere to go, absolutely. That's and, the and, and, and the huge issue there is that there's a long-term uh, project to have more care in the community and to have fewer residential places uh, excepting for those who are really in need of it. And the problem there is that the community facilities have not been properly resourced. And that's been ongoing for the last 10 years. I think we had Vision for Change. God, it must be nearly 10 years ago now. And the pace at which they're trying to move into that situation is so slow and the recruitment of personnel to work in the community is so slow that this is what we're ending up with and it's really it is a scandal no matter what way you look at it uh, and of course we heard from the Mental Health Commission earlier on that there's still 20% of paediatric cases are being treated in adult units that's, and it depends yeah, that's, that, very that, much that's where a, you are in the country that's a huge issue that was there in, in Craig House yesterday that's, that, that's the thing would jump out to you that the, the children are being treated in the same facilities as adults I mean it, it beggars belief some of it um, just uh, we'll look, finish up on, on the story that's dominated not just this week but for the last couple of weeks uh, the IBRC um, investigation that is now going to be headed up by a retired High Court judge it is going to have according to the government and their interpretation of the terms of reference ability to look beyond the liquidation of IBRC and to go to as far as it needs to go to get to the answers do we all need to take a step back now and allow this commission to carry out its investigation without constantly having bits and pieces of information either leaked into the media or leaked through Leinster House? I think that's what's going to happen, to be fair. I, I, I think it will. And I think that, you know, I, I would be relatively confident that what comes out of this commission will be a pretty full report. What I would not be confident about at all is the timeline. Um, I'd be very, very surprised if we get a report before the next general election. Now, you might well say, so what? I mean, you know, political accountability, absolutely. But I mean, IBRC started with the last government as well. But the main thing is that there is a report. And, you know, because the public unease is there, there has been a theme running through the whole recession. And that is that those at the top are getting away with everything and that the peop- most people are having to pay for it. Those who are not in what some people describe as the elite are having to pay for it. Well, this will examine what exactly was done there. But I think it, it'll also take into account that there are commercial realities that was forced yeah. on the bank in the scenario that it was in. The other thing, Jonathan, is this. Once we've done this, it's only a matter of time before stuff is going to come out of NAMA and we're going to have a similar inquiry into NAMA. But, but the, the one thing that has stood out this week, the Fenley Commission has now sent its interim report to the interested parties, uh, the Taoiseach and Martin Callanan and so on, those that were for, would, would form part of it and would be in whose names would be mentioned. This commission of inquiry model does seem to work and while you say you have I suppose a little lack of faith in that it'll be done before Christmas at least it's being done relatively speedily because Fenley is going to be out probably within the next couple of weeks Well John I wouldn't agree with you there Um, 13 months an issue that involved interviewing six people and documenting what happened over a 48 hour period last uh, April 12 months and it is only now we're getting to a stage where we're getting a result for that I I would have grave issues around that, why it took so long. And, and I, I think that is the one problem about the Commission of Inquiry model, no more than any sort of legal process it would seem in this country, that it, it, compared to other jurisdictions, it is unbelievably slow. Yeah, we don't do things fast, we know that. Uh, Mick Clifford, uh, Special Correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Thanks for joining us, Mick. Thanks, Jonathan. 
Okay, let's uh, turn to that tragedy in Port Marnock. A second man has died following that industrial accident earlier in the week. They were, of course, brothers. Alan and Steve Harris were both taken to Beaumont Hospital after being rescued by members of Dublin Fire Brigade. They had been overcome by toxic fumes while working on a sewer. Adam Cullen of the Irish Independent has been following the story and uh, the very sad news uh, released this morning was that the second brother, Alan, also passed away. Hi, Dean Jonathan. Good afternoon. What do we know about uh, the, the circumstances of his passing? He was very seriously injured in this, clearly. Yes, he's been fighting for his life uh, since the tragic incident there on Wednesday afternoon. He's been clinging to life in Beaumont Hospital, uh, and unfortunately he passed away shortly uh, before 9am this morning. An absolute uh, tragedy for the, ha- for the Harris family. And the fact that these uh, the, these two were brothers as well has compounded this. I know the grieving widow um, of Alan has put out a heartbreaking statement uh, talking about this. She has indeed. Yeah, unfortunately, she was uh, she was away on holiday in Kusadasi in Turkey when she received this this heartbreaking news, and uh, she had to make her way home. It took her twelve hours to get home. She had to go through five different airports. But she says her husband was one in a million, and uh, quite understandably, she's absolutely traumatized by this uh, this whole incident. Steve Harris passed away this morning. Alan passed away on the day of the tragedy. The Health and Safety Authority are continuing their investigation with the Gardaí. Uh, is the scene still sealed off? Are they still trying to uh, get technic- a technical examination to find find out what just went on? That's correct, yeah, Jonathan. From what we understand, the scene is still preserved there uh, today. Uh, we, we're still, uh, it's still none the clearer what exactly has happened. Uh, we understand that the two men were overcome by methane gas, uh, which... Uh, does on, on, on occasion build up in these type of sewer systems. But uh, the investigation is ongoing, and I'm afraid we won't know for quite some time what exactly has happened here. Uh, what we do know is that both men were, were consummate professionals in what they did. They both had years' experience. And Tracy tells us that um, her husband was always very, very safety conscious. OK, our sympathies uh, to the Harris family on the passing of Alan and Steve. Uh, Adam Cullen of the Irish Independent, thank you for that. Uh, let's go across stateside to Boston. Kevin Cullen of the Boston Globe, how are you? I'm very well, Jonathan. A video that shocked many people was uh, an incident that happened at a pool party. There were some kids there. This was in Texas. They, they shouldn't have been there, but it was the action of a police officer by the name of Eric Casebolt. Um, who effectively kneeled on the back of a young girl in a bikini. Uh, He has now resigned after a YouTube video sparked allegations of racism. Have a listen to this. It is his hope that his resignation will facilitate the cooperative relationship between the citizens and the police officers of the city of McKinney. It was an incident that shocked people because it was a very aggressive action on the part of Eric Casebolt, but details have emerged of the kind of day that he'd been having up to that point. Not that they excuse what happened, but they give us a bit of context about the stress that he must have been under as a police officer. Yeah, and you know, it's I was I had dinner last night with the, the, some of the biggest names in American policing, and actually Sir Peter Fahey from the Manchester Police uh, here in Boston doing more or less a training session. And I couldn't. I, I thought there'd be a little more sympathy for the cop, but it wasn't. Um, he obviously he had a bad day. A lot of police officers have bad days, but once he, I mean, he pulled the gun, and it's a great thing that he didn't fire it, because then I think we would have had another city in flames. But he really, really was out of control. He did everything wrong. Um, 
And part of it was he was alone at first. He didn't wait for... for but when you step back, Jonathan, this was a people... A bunch of kids had gone into a pool that they weren't supposed to be in. That's what this was about. And so everything has to be kept... You talk about context. The context of the situation is you don't pull a gun in a situation. You just don't pull your gun. Yeah, but he'd been at, a, he'd been at two attempted suicides earlier in the right. day... And that that may or may not have had an impact on on his state of mind when he turned sure it, it did have inexcusable. A, I'm sure it did have an impact, but that's exactly the sort of stress training they go they undergo. I mean, this is not just a morale, um, you know, a morality issue for American police departments. It's 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 a liability issue. Uh, every time a police officer discharges his weapon, you, you, it's almost like seeing a million dollars go out the coffers of the local municipality. So the idea that, you know, he was under incredible stress because of what he had seen, that's exactly what they're trained for. And usually, you know, there are a lot of police officers or potential police officers that don't pass that stress training. Apparently he did, but in this case, I think there's no doubt that what he attended earlier affected his actions. But at the end of the day, they're still inexcusable. And uh, the like, again, no... everything in America is about liability, Jonathan. It's not mm. about doing the right thing. It's about the uh, money I, I... that might go out the door. Well, um, well, we'll see what happens in relation to that because no doubt that is a, an element of the story that has to play out. Normally the way this works, Kevin, is you tell me what's going on in the States, but I've, I've something to give back to you this week. I'm feeling very generous, so we, we, we'll reverse directions here. Have a listen to your mate Donald Trump. He was on News Talk oh, Breakfast God. with Ivan Yates yesterday talking about ambition, and by God, he has it in spades. Came in third in a poll in New Hampshire, and nobody thinks I'm running, which is very interesting, which is pretty hard to do, actually, because when they don't think you're running, they don't give you very good poll numbers. But we're doing, out of, I think, 22 candidates, we came in third. So I'm going to announce something that I think is going to be very dramatic and going to make a lot of people very happy on June 16th. And it'll be something. I mean, it'll be... uh, We're going to have a wild time because the United States should be doing much better than it's doing. You're going to have a wild time with President Trump. Well, presumably that announcement that's going to make us all happy is that he's retiring to a desert island somewhere. <laughs> We're not going to hear from him again. But I mean, he he runs every four years, so I, I think it was just a matter of time. And it's gotten to the point, I think it's 20-something people that are running yet, and, and there's four or five more that we expect to. So I can't wait to see these debates. But let's be honest, I don't think Donald Trump could be elected to uh, Clare County Council, even though he has that nice big golf course up there. Uh, he's, you know, he's unelectable. It's just it's kind of a joke. But I mean, the, he he kind of consistently talks about running. He's going to have to do it at some stage. No, I wouldn't be surprised if he declares. Like I said, Jonathan, at this point, with how many people are in the race, it, you know, it, it it's a bigger decision to stay out than it is to get in because mm. everybody with any kind of Republican ambition has thrown their hat in the ring, and like it's not over. That's the crazy thing. This could go on all summer. We might end up with thirty people on the stage at some of these debates, which is going to be a hoot. Yeah, well, that's one way of looking at it. Kevin, we'll park it there for this week. We'll talk to you again next Friday. Good man.